but if one of my buddies wants to go hunt bongo in the Congo and we're gonna be there for 25 days, I've got a business, I've got stuff going on. Now all of a sudden I may not be a great hunting partner in that situation. Every situation is different in those four Big things I mentioned, they apply differently to all different types of hunt. Hunting partners matter a lot. For the people who don't hunt solo, who they're hunting with is probably more important than all their gear, the place they're hunting, their personal skill set, all of that combined. I've seen people that I had as clients and people that I have as friends, they've literally gone on hundreds of hunts with the same hunting partner or the same group of hunters and that has made them way more effective in the field. I know a lot of guys like that, I had a lot of clients like that. On the flip side, during my years as an outfitter, I saw people who were you know, friends at work, who were friends within their community, friends from church for 20, 30 years. I saw them choose to go on a hunt together, go up into the mountains for six or seven days and come out of the mountains, unfortunately, worst enemies. The big subjects that you hear people talk about when they're talking about hunting partners, hunting partner compatibility are physical fitness, style of hunting, hunting skill set, hunting expertise, all of those things. And I can tell you that those matter a whole lot less than people think they do. I dealt with literally hundreds of hunting partners. I dealt with big groups, two guys, three guys, four guys, 10 guys at a time. And in this video, I'm gonna to touch on the three or four things that actually matter and are eight, nine, 10 times as important as that stuff. He's always telling you how big of a pussy so-and-so is and how out of shape so-and-so is and how he can't hunt with that guy because he's too loud. He can't hunt with this guy because he can't hit the broad side of a barn. There's always these individuals. These guys are just like the guy who's been divorced four times and he tells you how all of his ex-wives were mega bitches, right? Well, probability is just not on his side. Most likely, his wives were no bigger bitches than all of our wives, right? It's probably him. The same thing goes for these guys who are out there and they just can't get along with anybody else as a hunting partner. And to some extent, you should look inside. If you're that guy who's always talking crap about other hunting partners, it might be you and there might be something there that you need to fix if you wanna hunt with other people. If you're okay solo hunting and you're okay hunting with guides, that dynamic is a whole lot different for obvious reasons, then no problem. Don't change you know, what you're doing. But if you're having constant trouble with hunting partners, just realize first that it might be you and you might need to change something on your end. You might need to add a little flexibility in. I think it's very valuable for people to figure out if they're in that category and they're not constantly trying to find hunting partners, scheduling hunts, going on group hunts, hunts with partners, and then having constant conflict, right? All that does is ruin the experience for everybody involved, waste a bunch of money, waste a bunch of time, waste another hunting season. So don't do that. Figure out if you are somebody who should be hunting with partners, enjoys hunting with partners, and can be compatible with groups of hunters when you're out in the field. All right, so now I wanna go over just kind of like empirical things that I saw over my data set of dealing with a bunch of hunting partners and big groups of hunters. What is the number one thing that kind of gauged how compatible 
guys were going to be in the field together. And that for sure correlated in how effective they were time over time out in the field. The biggest compatibility variable is how serious they are about that hunt. And I mean that specific hunt. So you can have situations where somebody is a really serious waterfowl hunter, right? And then they've got a buddy who's a very serious backcountry elk hunter. Now, they go on a hunt. A lot of times, particularly if there's an income disparity between the two people, you know, let's say the waterfowl hunter is very wealthy. Let's say the elk hunter is not that wealthy, just doesn't have as much disposable income. What happens in these situations, the elk hunter convince his waterfowl buddy who's got some extra bucks and a little time on his hand to go on an elk hunt with him. So now these two individuals are in the field. The waterfowl hunter, he likes elk hunting, he's enjoying it, but he's not taking it that serious. Whereas the elk hunter, because it's his passion, plus he doesn't have as much disposable income, so this, is, this might be his one hunt a year, he's taking it really serious. When this dynamic, goes up into the mountains, into remote areas, and the, hunt, and the hunt starts getting hard, difficult, and you start going through just normal ups and downs of an elk hunt, things clash. Because what happens is one part of the pair wants to get out, right? Once they've, once they've said, ah, this is gonna be a pretty tough hunt. I don't really know if I wanna be here. I've been here for three or four days. We've only seen a couple bulls. There's no way we could have got them. I'd rather just get out of here and go home, right? Well, the elk hunter who's super serious about it is like, hell no. Well, in the back country where there's a bunch of logistics involved, particularly if you've driven across the country, you end up with a major clash. I saw this one a ton. So what you have to do is you really need to be hunting with people who are taking that specific hunt as serious as you do. As I'll get into later, this is different than having the same physical preparation, the same hunting style, that sort of thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about how important this individual hunt is to both hunters, right? If you guys both are taking it very serious, it's a very important hunt to you, then you're gonna be compatible and you're both gonna have a good time. And then on the flip side, if it's just something, you know, if you guys are both that waterfowl hunter, right? And I'm, I'm just, Guys, just so you know, I'm not like dogging on waterfowl hunters. I'm just using it for comparison here. If you're both that waterfowl hunter, that's really your passion. You know, you love hunting ducks. You might do a little pheasant hunting. That's what you really enjoy. But you've always thought like, hey, let's mix it up and let's go on an adventurous elk hunt. Again, you are going to be compatible with that other hunting partner or group of hunting partners because it's a new thing to you, right? You're there for the adventure. You're not taking it all that crazy serious. You're there to have fun. Two people with that mindset, there again is gonna be compatibility and they're gonna enjoy the hunt. So other than the logistical issue I mentioned, you know, somebody who's not taking the hunt quite as seriously might wanna leave the hunt early. It's very, very common. And on a practical, logical standpoint from their perspective, it actually makes sense. It's like, hey, I didn't, you know, I just wanted to see how this was, have a good time. It's been three or four days. This is getting hard, difficult. I don't enjoy it. I'm out of here. I don't care that my buddy's a hardcore elk hunter and he's been watching way too many Cliff Gray videos and he's all about iterating on his skill set. I don't care about that. I'm not that serious about this. I want to go home, right? So you run in this logistical issue where that guy wants to roll and then the other guy wants to stay. Major clash between hunting partners. I've seen that dozens of times and that's usually where even if guys have been friends for 20, 30 years, they can leave hunts 
pretty much almost enemies, right? So that's the big one on this front, but this issue actually rolls in to the second most important issue I'm gonna talk about, and that's positivity. This is gonna get a little woo-woo for you, but I can tell you within groups, it doesn't matter if it's six guys or two guys, if there is one hunter in that group that brings negativity to the party, it absolutely affects the whole group's ability to harvest elk, to harvest deer, and hunt hard. Because you've got that plague in your camp. And the way it relates to the first one is not all the time, but a lot of times what happens is the negativity in the camp creeps in from somebody who's not taking the hunt as serious as the other group members. And a lot of times they don't even think they're doing this consciously, but what they do is they decide that they wanna leave, right? They're three days into a 10 day hunt and they wanna leave. So all of a sudden they start to just, you know, just dribble out, just crap out little negativity poops all over camp, right? And what they do is they say, oh, well, you know, yeah, you guys saw that bull yesterday afternoon. Where was it? Oh yeah, I, I didn't even look in that area because if you see a bull over there, there's no way to get over there and kill him. So there's a little negativity shit right in the middle of camp, right? Okay, all right, now he goes over and opens the cooler and goes, man, like this meat and stuff is thawing out way faster than I thought it would, guys. Like, I don't know if we can stay, right? So another little negativity shit in camp, right? And the thing is, is that it's not always related to the first situation. It's not always that somebody doesn't take it serious. Sometimes they seem like somebody who's gonna take the hunt serious just like everybody else, but they're just a negative person or they're, do they just get negative in camp? They haven't been sleeping. Go check out my video on why hunters quit. I'll stick a link up right here so you can check that out. But a lot of this stuff I talk about around stress, eating, keeping hydrated, all of that. One of the first signs of that is this negative Nancy attitude, right? So that can be a ball buster for a group of elk hunters, a group of mule deer hunters, just one guy. And I've seen that a ton over the years. I have had one individual who is just negative and all of a sudden over time, the whole camp becomes negative. I've had this situation. I've guided an individual several times and he was a stud. He was awesome to guide. We killed animals. He was you know, super proficient, super on it. We had a good time. We were laughing our asses off most of the hunt, right? And then he's like, you know what, Cliff? I can't do a guided hunt with you just economically every year, but I'd love to come back with two or three of my hunting buddies, do one of your drop camps. We can do one of the semi-guided services with you. Let's do that. And then sure enough, they come back the next year, big smile on his face. He's like, yeah, man, I'm ready to rock. Goes into camp with his two buddies. And then three days later, I'm packing them out and they're all negative Nancy's. You know, the, it, the, you know, it's just like the conditions were shitty. There's all these different variables that come into play and they're justifying why I'm packing them out early. And the thing is, I know the reason I'm packing them out early is one of those two new people that he brought with him is a negative Nancy and he basically plagued the camp with that shit, right? So you have to be very wary of that person. And this one's difficult because a lot of times in your day-to-day -day life, it's somebody you work with, it's somebody you do other types of hunting with, until they get up on the harder hunts, the more trying hunts, you're not gonna know if they're this negative Nancy personality, this negative Nancy hunting partner. You're not gonna know until you're up there in the mountains with them. So you can do your best to screen it out when you're planning logistics, but the key thing is if you sense it in camp, and I'll have to do a whole video on this eventually because you can turn these situations around, but if you sense it in camp, 
Send the guy home, right? Say, hey, man, why don't you just leave, dude? We're having fun. Get rid of that freaking negative disease right off the bat. Like, get out of here. If that's not logistically possible and you guys all have to leave, you just have to deal you know, with the results of this situation, but don't make the same mistake again. Once a guy does that, he's out. He's out of the hunt, right? He's out of future hunts. He's gotta understand that. That's not a mistake you should make twice, bringing somebody along that has that type of attitude. So those are the, uh, those are the things you can do. And the other thing you can do related to the first solution there is plan your logistics accordingly. If you're you know, coming out from Ohio and you're coming to Colorado and you sense that, hey man, like, you know, one of these guys, I just, I don't know, you know, about, you know, his, his you know, his, his positivity going into this hunt. You've got to have positivity in these type of hunts, guys. Like, I can pound on that a ton. A bunch of my videos talk about it, but you've got to have that to be really effective. The guys that kill elk in, you know, hard to hunt, over-the-counter stuff, hard, you know, easy-to-draw tag stuff that gets hunted a whole lot, the guys are overall positive on elk hunts. Absolutely, 100%. I've got the data set. If you're not positive, your chances of success go way down. If anybody in your group is a negative turd, your chances of success go way down, all right? So this is really important. But what you can do if you sense that might be a possibility is plan your logistics around that. Take two vehicles, right? Take two vehicles to Colorado. Sure, it's gonna cost you another three or $400 of gas, right? Round trip for your buddy to, to bring his vehicle, but you just have to have a heart to heart. Like, hey man, like what if one of us doesn't want to hunt, hunt the whole time and somebody wants to go home? Let's take two vehicles. Why don't we take two vehicles so we can potentially do drop hunts, right? Like we'll drop one vehicle up here, we'll hunt down to the other vehicle. That's super effective. I talk about that in several of my videos. So there's a bunch of different advantages to having multiple vehicles if you just don't want to say, hey, I think you might weenie out on this hunt, I think you might be a little negative Nancy, bring your truck too. If this situation arises, one guy can leave, get in his truck, head out, and that plague of negativity is out of the camp. All right, so the third one I'm going to tell you about via story, all right? All right, so I got this call about two o'clock in the afternoon from a hunter that I had packed into a drop camp three or four days earlier, and he was hunting with three other hunters in that group. He got me on the satellite phone and he says, hey man, I killed a bull, I've got them all quartered up. You think you can pack it out this afternoon? In the remote stuff that I was outfitting in, if I got calls after noon, it was really logistically impossible for me to go in and pack animals out. So I told this hunter, no man, I have to get it, I'll have to get in the morning. Let me know where it is, I'll meet you at the bull in the morning. And then all of a sudden I get the odd part of the conversation over the phone, right? He goes, and a matter of fact, I'm at the bull right now and I know he had shot the bull in the morning, right? And a lot of times that's what it takes a guy, particularly newer guys or whatever. It takes them three or four hours to get a bull all cleaned up, quartered up. So that's not unusual. But the unusual part is that he's at the bull in the afternoon still. He's not calling me back from camp, celebrating with his buddies or whatever. And then the weirdest part comes out of the phone. He goes, in a matter of fact, man, I've got all my gear with me. I've got my pack, I've got my rifle. If you wanna come in and pack the bull out, you can just pack me out too. And I thought to myself, okay, this is kind of a weird conversation. There really wasn't any reason for me to question it, like real in depth, but I did ask him. I was like, well, why do you wanna, why do you wanna come out early, man? Because I figured, you know, a guy just killed a bull, he might wanna hang with his buddy. And he goes, oh man, I've been having back pain. My back pain has just been, just been killing me the whole time. So given the logistics, because he was halfway my way, I was like, hell yeah, dude, I'll get you. And then that's a bull I don't have to worry about and another hunter I don't have to worry about in, sort of, in, in terms of pack and pack stock getting them out later on, so I'll come get you. 
I assumed that he had gone back to camp, talked to his buddies and figured this all out and, you know, high-fived and been like, thanks guys, but I got to go because I've got a back problem, right? So I go in, pack the guy out, get him out. Seems like a normal guy. He jumps in his truck. We get the quarters of the bull in there. He heads out. And then the weirdest thing happens. At one in the morning that night, I get a call from the group of hunters in the camp who he was hunting with. And they go, do you know where, let's call him Jeff, right? Do you know where Jeff is? Like we have not been able to find him. And I'm thinking to myself like, what is going on? Like I literally just packed out a bull and Jeff, right? Like he's on the road. He hasn't even told his buddies. So I tell his buddies like, hey, I already packed him out. They're astonished and pissed as you can imagine. And then they tell me the true part of the story. Jeff has been getting calls from his wife and texts from his wife on and on and on about issues at home. And it turns out during their whole planning process, this was an issue for Jeff. Jeff constantly kept bringing up that he needed contact with his wife, that he felt like his wife was gonna have issues with him going on such a long hunt. Could they do a shorter hunt? Could it not be eight days? Could they do it for five days? All of this stuff. So what I'm getting at is family issues or work issues at home. And usually there's early indicators. It's not as bad as this story. It's not just Jeff, you know, cutting out on his buddies out of the blue in the middle of the night and worrying and worrying them half to death, right? That's usually not the situation. So these guys could have actually avoided this conflict amongst the hunting group, amongst hunting partners by just detecting this early on. They told me all the telltale signs. So that's the third big one. If early on in this planning process, if right now you have somebody that's indicating he might have work problems, he might have family problems, he might have wife problems, if there's an early indication of that, I would very much encourage you to get that person out of your group. And the easiest way to do that is to just give them an early out. A lot of times what happens, particularly in groups of four or five people who have some other interest they share, they bring in another person. Sometimes it's for cost savings, right? To save on gas because you're splitting gas. If you're doing any sort of outfitting deal, you know, a lot of times you can get discounts on drop camps if it's a larger group, that sort of thing. So somebody's pulled in because of those advantages and then what happens is Early on in the process, they start to realize that they probably shouldn't be doing this. It might be money problems. It might be you know just legitimate issues with work or family or whatever, right? They could just have a nagging wife. They could just have nagging work, right? And feel obligated to that, right? It doesn't really matter because a lot of times, once they put out indicators, they're actually ready to give up on the hunt. They're ready to cut out early, cut out during the planning process, right? So. My suggestion to you is if you see these early indicators of those type of problems, give them an out 99% of the time, they'll take it, they'll be out, and you'll avoided the problem. All right, so the fourth really important thing when it comes to hunting partners and hunting groups, and that's logistical preparation. It's very similar to the first one in terms of hunters being compatible, in terms of enthusiasm, and importance of the hunt to them. You just have to match. It doesn't mean you have to be super, super logistically prepared, right? And you know, have notebooks and, and have 87 points on onyx marks for glassing points and trails to get there and all that, be logistically perfect. It's not that you have to do that, 
but you have to be compatible with your hunting partners on this front. If you get in a situation where one person is highly anal, highly prepared, has all their stuff, is ready to rock, and then you have somebody who's just lackadaisical by personality, right? They're just gonna throw all their crap in a couple days before they go on the hunt and head out. If you have that kind of mismatch, this again creates problem in camps. And a lot of times if it's a group of three or four or five guys, it works out a little bit better because you might have two or three guys that are totally disorganized and then you might have two or three guys that are kind of on top of it. Those kind of groups tend to be okay because there's a little bit of offsetting. But if you have like partners and one is super on it logistically and one is not, or you've got a group where one guy's very anal on it, logistically prepared, all of his gear tuned in, and then he's hunting with three guys who are just lackadaisical about preparation, if there's this big overweight one way or the other way, then you're gonna have a clash in camp. And a lot of, a lot of military guys, I heard this from, from guides that work for me who are uh, from the military, they call them blue falcons. And I was like, why do you call, why do you call so-and-so a blue falcon? And finally, I figured out blue falcon, my understanding is it's buddy effer. I'm trying to cut down on my bad language. So buddy effer, right? Somebody who screws over their buddies, right? That's a blue falcon. So that's basically what happens. If there's too many blue falcons in a hunting partnership or hunting group, there's bound to be problems. And the reason it becomes an issue is it's just a fairness thing. If the other guy in the wall tent is constantly asking you if he can, you know, if he can use your extra sleeping bag, you know, hey, do you got an extra pair of socks? Oh, hey, I forgot my bipod. If he keeps needing those sort of favors, one, it does affect the people who are on it and prepared. It does affect their effectiveness because now they've given up some of that effectiveness to the people who haven't prepared. But the main thing is it just creates angst. Yeah, it might work on a two to three day hunt, but a five, six day, seven day, eight day hunt, a real trying hunt, all of a sudden those people who are providing a bunch of the other, other folks get a lot of angst. Because essentially what they are is they've become unpaid guides and so, there becomes clashes. And sometimes it's really the fault of the individual or the individuals who are carrying all the weight, right? In the planning process and even early on on the hunt, they're okay doing that, right? They want, they want the hunt to go well, so they're doing everything for other people. But once you get into these hunts that are real trying, a lot of that fades away and people start saying like, hey, I'm on this hunt to enjoy myself and have a good time and be effective and potentially get a bull or get a buck. I don't want to constantly be logistically guiding these other guides, right? You know, taking care of all that stuff, making sure the gear is good, making sure dinner's ready, putting out dinner, all of those, those sort of things. Those are guiding tasks. Those are not hunting partner tasks. You guys need to share that. All right, so those are the big four, guys. We've got one, how serious everybody in the group is taking the hunt. We've got positivity. We don't want the little negative poop throwers out there, right? We don't want them. And then number three, we got life issues, the wife at home, the work issues at home, that sort of thing. And then four, we've got a good mix on the logistical front, right? Everybody, for the most part, is pulling their weight, getting their gear together, all of that sort of thing. Or everybody equally is a mess. Those two situations will work on that front too. But those are the big four. You notice that I didn't talk about a lot of these issues that other folks talk about. Physical fitness, skill set, time in the, you know, time in the field, style of hunting. I didn't talk about that, 
but I will right now. I'm gonna throw them all into the same category because these are really compatibility metrics on the hunting front. And I can tell you on 90% of hunts, they don't matter, okay? So let me, let me dive in here. Let's take the obvious ones, right? So if you're hunting out of a lodge, right? Or you're hunting out of a road-based camp, the physical part of it doesn't matter that much. For most hunts, it will matter on the individual hunter's effectiveness. But in terms of compatibility with the group, it's not as big a deal as you think, right? So on those lodge hunts, the individual who's overweight, not physically prepared, he can hunt a different way, right? He can go to different spots with milder terrain. He can really focus on the glassing perspective. He can use roads to cut down his stocks. There's things he can do. On an elk hunt where you have a road-based camp, it doesn't, you know, some guys can hike a mile in and hunt, and then another guy can hunt six miles in, and then another guy can hunt three or four miles in. It's not necessarily the case that there's a massive difference in the effectiveness there, but still, in the end, it's really just the individual's effectiveness. Now, I actually think that this differential, you know, having people in a group or a hunting partnership that are different physically, you know, less willingness to go further, right? So you've got one guy that's only gonna hunt a mile, two miles from camp. You've got another guy that might go 10 miles. You've got one guy that only goes and stand hunts. You've got another guy that gets on the highest point in glasses. Is If you actually have a mix there and there is a differential, a lot of times it actually pays off is more effectiveness in a group because you're not all clashing with each other. You're not all trying to hunt real close to camp. You're not all going way out and covering a ton of ground that's far out there and having crazy logistics. You've got a good mix and a lot of times that makes you a whole lot more effective. Like I can't tell you how many guys have called me up on the sat phone and said, hey man, I shot a bull and I say, where's he at? And they're like, he's right outside the wall tent because it's grandpa in the hunting group who's hunted with the other guys for years but he only hunts right there by the tent. He hunts right there where everybody else goes way beyond that, but he's still covering that ground that he can cover. On those type of hunts, I'm talking about individuals hunting separate. So my advice is that if there are big compatibility issues on the physical fitness front, the style front, in terms of experience, that's up to you. I enjoy hunting with somebody that has less experience. Yeah, I don't mind somebody asking a bunch of questions, but I do know that that annoys other people. So that's gonna be you know, a case by case situation. But on the physical preparation and then the style front, if there's compatibility issues there, just hunt separately. Figure out your logistics so you know, you've built in the safety net that comes with hunting with other folks, hunting in groups, hunting in partners, still take the advantage of that and have some way to communicate, but don't force hunting together if there's big compatibility differences on those metrics. I know a lot of people who hunt with somebody who's almost the polar opposite of them when it comes to this situation. I have had, you know, string bean, little mountain goat guys come with guys that were 150 pounds overweight for years, for decades. The guys are growing old as hunting partners together, but they have a great time. They hunt separate. One guy hunts, you know, 800 yards from camp and he sits in a little stand that's been effective over the years. The other guy hikes all over the mountains, you know, sleeps on the top of the mountain in a blue tarp sometimes and then hikes back seven miles the next day, right? Very different hunters, but they really enjoy the hunting dynamic together and they depend on each other for that camp dynamic, 
for being good hunting partners. Yeah, when there's game to pack out, they go man up and they help each other. All of that stuff still works out, right? And there's not big issues in those hunting groups or those hunting partners. So I think it's way overplayed. And the reality is a lot of people that focus on this stuff, like that guy sucks, that guy couldn't glass up animals, that guy's fat, that guy's not tough. Usually people who focus on those, back to the original analogy I use, they're like the guy who's been divorced four times and all of his ex-wives were huge bitches, right? That's the kind of guy. They tend to be the problem, it's not the rest of the group. But we're gonna sign off here on a couple situations where the physical stuff does matter and then maybe the skill set stuff matters also. So if you're doing a long duration backpack hunt, on the fitness side of things, you can still have a big differential there, right? You can have guys who are out of shape, but if that's the case, you're going to have to gauge the pace of your original entry for the most part. You're gonna to have to base it on the guys that are less physically prepared. So that's just something you have to think about if you can deal with. But once you're into like a base camp situation as a backpack hunter, in most backpack hunts, that's what people are doing. If it's that type of backpack hunt, again, you can differentiate. The guy who's overweight in less physical shape, he might have to take some more time off after the pack-in. He might have to do lighter hunts going forward. You guys can hunt separate. Now, if you're hunting large, big game, in some areas and you're doing that type of hunt. I'm not talking about backpacking in for three miles, hunting here and then coming out, going to another spot. I'll talk about that last. But in this situation where you do a big pack in and you're hunting a large big game animal like moose, elk, that sort of thing, the physical thing can be a compatibility issue. So if your elk hunts in particular, I know a bunch of you guys out there there in my audience you do this type of elk hunt you do need to consider that because if a guy is not physically prepared to pack out his fair share of the meat you can run into pretty major logistical issues and you can run into big time angst amongst people so there again it could be physical preparation it could be toughness but you can run into issues. The reality is that's a small segment of hunt. Because a lot of these backpack hunts, you know, you're going uphill four miles, you kill a bull, even a guy that's heavy, out of shape, he's gonna be able to pull his weight in terms of packing meat out. But the real extreme differences is where you have to have a little caution. All right, so the last type of hunt, I just mentioned it, and that's you're doing backpack hunts that are real physical because you're going in two or three days to one spot, coming out of drainages, going to the next one. On those specific hunts, you have to have at least some level of similarity fitness-wise because they're basically a prerequisite to doing that style of overall hunt, right? So those are the two situations where the physical stuff can matter. The vast majority of the hunts, it's way overplayed on this hunter-partner compatibility metric, I'm telling you. I've seen so many guys that are so different on these fronts be awesome hunting partners over the years. And that's one thing I'll say is that like I mentioned in the beginning, you don't have to hunt with a partner. Some people are great solo hunters and that's what they enjoy and that makes sense. And that could be because they just enjoy it. It could be that they just always have troubling dynamics with hunting partners, right? So I personally, I like to hunt with other people. I just enjoy the camaraderie of it. And a lot of the people that I hunt with, I have hunted with 
over the years and we've grown as hunters together and it's one of the most awesome relationships I think there is on earth and the great thing about it is if you grow with hunting partners over the years your effectiveness as hunters goes way way up. You know the strength of some hunters, you know your own weaknesses, you know the interplay there, and as a group or a pair of hunters, you can be super effective. But the last piece of advice I'll tell you is look at these four things I mentioned. Consider the physical preparation, consider the skill set, consider the style of hunting on all of the hunts you plan. Just because somebody is a great hunting partner for you on elk hunts, on over-the-counter elk hunts, that doesn't mean they're gonna be a great hunting partner for your $50,000 Yukon moose hunt, right? There's some dynamics I didn't touch on. There's huge differences in disposable income, how much people can spend on hunts, how much time people can spend on hunts. That all plays in. The reality is, is every hunt's different and all these metrics are going to be different, right? Let's take the one with no issues at home. Well, me personally, if I'm going with one of my hunting buddies and we're going for seven or eight days, my wife and family knows, no problem, we're not gonna have an issue. But if one of my buddies wants to go hunt Bongo in the Congo and we're gonna be there for 25 days, well then, Maybe I will have a little more of a family dynamic. I've got a business, I've got stuff going on. Now all of a sudden, I may not be a great hunting partner in that situation. I'm not saying don't invite me on bongo hunts if you're out there, but, the, I'm, but just as an example, every situation's different in those four Big things I mentioned, they apply differently to all different types of hunts. Guys, I hope you got a bunch of value out of that. If you have comments on it, all of you guys have a relationship with hunting partners over the years. Leave your thoughts in the comments below. It helps me out a ton. Like the video and subscribe to the channel. And right here, guys, if you're looking for a video that's gonna get you prepared on the skill set side and get your mind in the game for an elk hunt you're gonna do here in seven, eight, nine, ten months, check out this video, why 5% of hunters kill 95% of the elk. I guarantee you it'll be useful to you. Thanks for watching, guys. I'll catch you later.